0: Hey, good morning, Sterling. It's good to see you all this morning, Friday before Thanksgiving almost, right? We're almost to break, yeah? It's been a real pleasure to be here the last couple of days, especially with a lot of my friends in the religion department, the Bible department, and many of you. It's been good. As a matter of fact, Abby, where'd you go? Uh, it's been fun having Abby actually at our lectures, too, and, and worship team. Wonderful. Enjoyed it this morning very, very much. Really what I'm going to do this morning is talk to you about what I've been talking about during the lectures, and that's imagination this morning. So I want to talk about imagination and your faith today, how the two are, are essentially joined together, and not only that they mix together, but really they actually need each other to operate. I can't tell you how important that is. First, I want to start off with some scripture texts. So follow me first. Exodus 3, chapter 1 through 3. Yes. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. Can you literally imagine that? Can you imagine that? The text is set up in such a way, right, that it's almost confusing and contrary to how we think about those kind of things. So what you've got to do is engage that. Can you imagine that? That's crucial. Now, how about this text? Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. So he, Elisha, went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was uh, felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, my master, for it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. He cut off a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. He said, Take it up for yourself. So So he put out his hand and took it. Can you... Imagine that, right? I I hear arguments all the time amongst scholars, uh, those men and women who are of faith and those men and women who are not, and they consistently come back to the miracles and say, that's impossible. There's no way that that works. I'm here to tell you now it does. What it's really saying is that our ability to know things in our world is much broader than just the science of physics, right, or the laws of reason. It's much more than that. How about this text, Matthew 14, 25 to 33? One of my faves, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. Why? Because they knew it wasn't possible. Or they thought they knew it wasn't possible. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? They got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son, and... Can you imagine that? The very truth of this scripture passage, we, we glean, we grab onto through faith. We grab on to because it speaks not to our, our reason as a reasonable person. It speak to, speak to us, speaks to us directly into our imagination, the organ of our faith. And as it speaks to us there, it becomes true and real for all of us. Now, each one of these texts shares a miraculous event. Moses' encounter with God. The bush doesn't burn up. In Elisha's story, the iron axe head floats. And in Peter's story, Jesus walks on water. And Peter does too for a couple of seconds. Now, each of these stories is true. But it takes the faithful imagination to make it real. Now, before I get on to... The different things I want to tell you, I do want to say this. In many ways, today is about taking care of your mind as much today, as much as you take care of your bodies. You know, we hear all the time about what kind of diets should you be on. We hear all the time about maybe you should be on uh, no carbs, right? Just meats and fruits and that kind of stuff. Uh, Maybe not even fruits, but no carbs, no breads, no anything, We should be vegetarian, we should be vegan, we should be fruitarian. There's a lot of things out there about taking care of your body. And then it's about your ability to exercise. I just found out the other day that spin class, I thought it was like you sat on a little disc and went around and around. It's riding a bike, right? Anybody knew that? You knew what spin class was? Yeah. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what hot yoga is. Anybody know what hot yoga is? If you do, you'll have to let me know later on. I don't know what a hot yoga thing is, but that's a deal now, at least where I'm from. There's lots of things out there, to, uh, oh, or bar class. I don't even get that. Anybody do bar class here? All right, you'll have to talk to me later about that, because I'm not sure what that means. That, that doesn't make any sense to me either. But it's all out there. Take care of your body. Take care of your body. I lost 500 pounds in two weeks. You know, that kind of commercial is out there, right? but there's never anything about taking care of this. If this doesn't work up here, this doesn't work down here. And if this part doesn't really function down here well, you can't see well, you can't hear well, you can't taste or smell, right? Then that's a problem as well. The biggest thing, though, is your heart. If your your heart stops working correctly, then you die. Your body dies. Your mind dies. And that's the truth about our spirituality too. If your heart goes bad, your spiritual life and your mental life suffers. And the first thing to take a hit and become dysfunctional in your life, if your heart isn't working right, is your imagination. Over and over, the Bible talks about the heart as the key to believing, the key to faith. We must start there. So first, let's say this. In the Bible, the heart, even a corrupted heart, is the center of meaning. In the Bible, when they reference the heart, it's always in some kind of spiritual aspect. Always. The word in Hebrew is lev. Uh, the word in Greek is "cardia. You know it from every emergency medical show you've ever seen. A guy's in cardiac arrest, cardiac, cardia, heart. But for the ancient Hebrews, for Jesus, it meant the inner man, the inner person, the mind, the will, understanding, imagination. That's what it meant to them. And when you read scripture, it's referring to that. It is the very seat of our entire life. Definitely our physical life, we know that today, but also our spiritual and mental lives. Our heart, you see, is essentially, according to the Israelites, the Hebrews, to Jesus, is the place where faith comes out. It's the place where we believe with conviction. It is our link, essentially, with God. Yet, sadly, one of the great theologians of past history, Augustine said that it has been infected. Our heart has been infected virally. The virus we call is sin. Matthew 15 says, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, lies, and slanders. Our heart has been corrupted, right? Kind of like a hard drive on a computer. I've used this analogy all day yesterday. When you get a computer, and at one point in time at a school I taught at, I was issued an IBM. I'm a Mac guy. I have always tell people, once you go Mac, you'll never go back. But I I had to work on this IBM, and over a three-year period of time, I had problems with crashes and viruses over and over again, losing work, having to redo work problem after problem, almost as problematic as this music stand is, All right? What was happening was my hard drive was getting corrupted. My operating system wasn't working. And when that doesn't work, the rest of it just doesn't work. And our mind is like that too. Our mind functions in a way that we can live in our world. We have memories that we, re- we can remember things We have a a rational logic component that enables us to solve problems, do math, that kind of stuff. And then, of course, we have our sensory capabilities. Now, sensing isn't really a function. Sensing is really um, kind of an information gathering. So our senses feed input to the rest of our mind so we can try and understand our reality. But none of that works well if our imagination isn't working with it. That has to be right on. It's like the operating system of our mind. And if that is corrupted, the imagination is corrupted. If it's got a virus in it, it's going to crash and it's not going to work right. And that's the big problem with us. As our imaginations crash, we need something different. See, the heart is where our imagination resides. It's where our mind functions best. And once corrupted, it focuses not on its purpose, which is God, but on those easy, fleshly kind of things in life. As I said, computer viruses are evil. (laughs) They really are. But the viruses that infect our minds, the sin that corrupts imagination, reason, will, and even our memories is worse. we have to do something about sin that has corrupted our heart and imagination because that's where we start in life with a corrupted hard drive with a mind that is lost and separated from God in sin but here's the good news and this is my second point it has been God's in- eternal intention to give us a new heart a new heart Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 to 26. God says to Ezekiel, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands. Then I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, one that's vibrant and alive, instead of one that's dead and can't do anything. You see, God gives us a new heart, and it is prepared to resume its proper function. Its proper function goes back to Adam and Eve, to be stewards of the earth, to enjoy the bounty of God in our world, to love each other, to love God, and to love the creation about us. In this new heart, the heart is prepared for grace and to exercise faith. This heart has a renovated imagination, prepared to exercise that original purpose. Many, many years ago when I was doing my undergraduate degree, my first degree is music education and theory composition, and I did it at a place called Sam Houston State University. Anybody ever heard of that? So I don't... Ah, oh, thank you. If, especially Oh, lectures last night. All right, I got it. Little college down in Texas, little state school down in Texas, and uh, it was only 60 miles north of Houston, only 60 miles north, so there's a lot of going back and forth. But I remember that at the time, and maybe it's still the truth today, that Houston was the center of the the incredible advances in cardiovascular surgery, open heart surgery. It was the place where the very first artificial heart was implanted in a person. It was the place that renovated heart transplants. It was the it was the place that pioneered all of the new things that we ex, we experience in our world today that actually enables us to have a, a, a new or a renewed or a, a some kind of, of of second chance at life because our heart has been replaced. To doctors uh, Denton Cooley and Michael DeBakey, who were the chief surgeons of this renaissance, to them the heart was a miracle. A miracle, it never stopped. It's the, it's the muscles that go all the time. It never stopped. And when it did, when your heart malfunctions, it meant death. It meant death. If it failed, a heart transplant was necessary. And this is what God is telling us. Our heart that has been infected by the sin of our world is not working right. And it has to be made new. We need a new heart. It needs to be renewed for us. This is what Ezekiel was saying to us. And so God gives us a new heart. The new heart comes about, however, in a process that is not nearly as painful as lying on an operating table for seven hours and having massive surgery. The reality of a new heart for us is as our old heart fails and our world becomes unrecognizable to us and we're living in misery and we're living in pain all the time and we can't seem to do anything right and we feel distant from everyone till we get to that point, that point in our lives where this is no longer working for us, God's grace becomes palpable to us. God, through his Holy Spirit, pours his grace into our life, into our world, and renews our heart and imagination, and enables us to respond to his love by renovating our imagination, and we can then practice faith, right? If we don't understand what God's gift to us is in grace, we can't respond in faith, Grace enables that. And when we have that reciprocal process, that trade-off, grace and faith, wow, bam, new heart. I believe. I'm ready to follow. God, take me and use me in this world. The biblical writers um, were always critical of vain imaginings. Always critical of that. And so, we have a new heart. Which brings me to my third and final point. Your imagination is found in the eyes of your heart. Paul Baloch had it right in that final song we sang today. Open the eyes of my heart, O Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. Why? Why open the eyes of my heart? Because I want to see you. I want to experience you. I want to know you, and I can't do those things if the eyes of my heart are blind. The heart infected as it was by sin couldn't work properly. And of course, that means the imagination couldn't work properly. It focused exclusively on the senses and all the material desires of our body. But in the new heart, our imaginations function as designed. The imagination exercises faith. When the world says no, that renovated imagination, that renovated heart says yes to Jesus, yes to God. The imagination acts as the eyes of our heart regarding God. Paul prays, he says, literally, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Things that we can't know or understand or see without that renovation. Your renovated imagination is found in the eyes of your heart, giving you the reality of the hope of his calling and the riches of his glory. And let me tell you, in this world today, where politics are dividing our country and our churches, where the economy is sky high, when I tell people that when I started driving at age 16, gas cost 65 cents a gallon, I get laughed at and called an old man. Don't do that. Please, please don't do that. Um, in my state, we're paying about four thirty a gallon now. I was so thankful I came here and it was less than that. Our world is divided and a bit out of control, but with a renewed heart with an imagination that works, the scriptures come alive to us in a way that they may never have before. And we can realize and see, experience the hope of his calling and the riches of God's glory. All right, my friends, let me conclude this way today. Make it simple for you. When God came into your life, he renovated your mind. He renovated it. Your desires changed. You wanted to be with others like you. You wanted to learn from Scripture. You wanted to be in fellowship with others. That was, that was just a powerful kind of uh, new sense of self and purpose. But it takes time and effort, work, to keep it in shape, to guard it. Just like anything else in your world. Like an athlete in the weight room or a musician in the practice room, Paul's metaphor in 1 Corinthians 9 makes it clear, just like an athlete, we must condition our minds so that we will not disqualify ourselves from the race. So what I'd like to share with you as we close is this. Very simply, the key is constant attention to life in Christ, and literally, we have a daily workout for the renewed imagination. I'm going to put this in football terms because we're in football season, although this could apply to any athletic piece. I played football until I was too short and too slow, and, uh, and then I went on to soccer, and I played that until I was too slow, and then I went into theology. Oops, I'm just, kid- I'm just kidding, guys. I'm just kidding, guys. Uh-huh. Here's the first thing that you got to remember about your workout in Christ is you got to talk to the coach. If you can't talk to the coach if you, when you've got a problem or if you've got an issue, you're in trouble as an athlete. That's, a, that's your go-to. That is your go-to. Is, is Morgan from Las Vegas here? Morgan, you here? Ah, oh, yes. So I met Morgan last night. She's pretty cool. Uh, she's, she's an athlete. Do you have other athletes here? If the coach says, I want to see you and talk to you, do you say, ah, I'm not going to talk to him today. I don't care. I don't know what he has to say to you, but it can't be that important. And you walk away from him or her. Do you get to start next week? No, you don't. Why should it be any different with our relationship with God since we're made in the image of God? Got to talk to the coach. How do we talk to the coach in the Christian life? It's about prayer. Last night, I'm driving back to Hutchinson across these roads to Nickerson to Hutch. I'm praying the entire way. Lord, don't let me hit a deer. Don't let me hit a deer or a skunk or a possum or whatever, right? And then it turned into a longer, more interesting conversation after that. Talk to the coach. You got to pray, my friends. Secondly, study the playbook. Got to study the playbook, right? Um, If you don't know what uh, it means to do a certain kind of set, if you don't know what it means to Uh, have a certain kind of offensive play or what a defensive formation is, and you go, huh? I'm supposed to what? You need to pull a weak side stunt. What? Right? You got to study the playbook. And by that, I mean, you've got to actually immerse yourself in scripture. This is the living word of God. The Holy Spirit used it in your life to make you a better person, a better follower of Christ. Thirdly, get together with your teammates regularly. I don't know how many times I've watched a football game on professional level or college level where it talks about the quarterback. He took his offensive line out to dinner or lunch, and he always sits with them at the table. Any football players in here? You guys get together with your teammates and do stuff? I hope, right? That's part of your identification as, a, as an athlete. Morgan, you get together with your teammates? Just checking. All right. That's huge for you. Why should that be any different for us? Fellowship with each other is huge, and that fellowship is important throughout your lives. I've been married for 36 years. Any of you 36? Just kidding. 36 years, and I talk to my wife every day. When I'm on the road, I talk to her every day, sometimes twice a day. Now, what would happen if I didn't talk to her at least once a day while I'm on the road? What would happen if I didn't talk to her for the entire time I'm gone? What would happen if I got home and I didn't say, I'm home, and give her a big hug? What would happen then? Man, there wouldn't be much relationship there, I promise you. Fellowship is important. Getting together with your teammates is important. And then finally, and I love this, when you botch a play, when you botch a play, when you miss a block, when you miss a hole, when you fail to catch a pass, when you get hit in the face with a ball, you got to do this, you got to... Fess up. Oh, I blew that. I did. I didn't do it. I, I, I blew it. I missed that block. I missed that. You got to fess it. I did it. And then you got to get up and pick up where you left off. I've got it this time. I was watching um, a game the other weekend. I don't remember who it was, but it was uh, uh, some offensive lineman was holding. And of course, you know, you see everything on replay now. And it it looked like he was choking him to death, actually. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh, that is a penalty. That's not a good thing, right? But so they they paid their penalty, they got marched back 15 yards or whatever for the for the penalty, and the quarterback does what good quarterbacks do. He just kind of wrapped his arm around his shoulder, patted him on the the pads, and it, it was done. Right? It was done. And here's something that's important about this, and I put it up there. It's confession. If we don't have the ability to say, man, I messed up, to the people in our fellowship, and our circle, I messed up. And if we can't forgive that person at that point, there's a disconnect and a problem in our Christian world, in our Christian fellowship. But you've got to do that. Even in the Christian life, I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. Because it's in that confession that we are blessed and restored. And then finally, and this is important, be honest with who you are and where you are in life. You guys are at Sterling College for a purpose. Matter of fact, uh, Ms. Morgan, I'm just I'm sorry, I just got to keep doing this. We had a chance to just chat for a moment last night. I found out where she was from and why she was here. And I'm like, she understood Who she was and why she is here. Who she was and why she is here. Do you know who you are and why you are here? Do you know how much you are loved by God and how much better you can be if you allow God to renovate your heart and life, to help you learn to guard your mind from the trash in our world that will derail you and hurt you. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says this, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Your imagination allows you to know the reality of God's presence, miracles, and will. Attend to it, condition it, guard it, And allow the love and power of Christ to flow into you and through you, that your mind will be the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for a gorgeous fall. We thank you for the opportunity to be at Sterling College as professors, as students, as a family together, a family that studies together, that plays together that does ministry together. We thank you for that, that special moment in time. Lord, help us wrestle with those things that hit us every day, that try to derail us, that try to infect our our hearts, that try to derail our minds away from the purpose that you have for us, the purpose that's in Jesus Christ. Lord, keep renovating our hearts and minds. Keep renovating our imaginations. Help us to be that person that you've destined us to be from the beginning of time. Lord, take my friends, protect them in these last days of the semester, Lord. Lord, help them to be what you want them to be and to know your love. We pray this in Christ's holy and blessed name. And they all said, amen. Thank you all very much.